Thanks, Ash. Well, good evening and welcome to UniChurch. Uh, my name's Rowan, one of the pastors here. And tonight, as Lachlan said earlier, is an exciting night. It's always exciting when we open up God's Word and get to hear what He's saying to us. But tonight, we get to open up this, this, this new book, uh, this book that Paul is writing uh, to this church in Corinth that really has lots to do with us. And I've got to be honest, as I started out preparing for this book, I just wasn't excited. Uh, it's a bit of a tricky book to kind of understand and get your head around how the whole lot works. But as I've gone through it, I've seen more and more that this is not just some logical book like Paul's normally are, where everything just flows, this, then that, then that, then that, then that. This is an impassioned letter to help people who trust Jesus stay trusting Jesus and to turn their view of the world the right way up through God's eyes. So I'm really excited tonight as we come to this book. And I want to ask, and I hope you want to ask too, that God would help us to see the world through His eyes. So why don't we pray together? Father, tonight, as we've just heard Your Word read, we ask that You would help us through Your Spirit to understand who You are and the way You see the world. Uh, You know where all of us have been. You know the weeks we've had and what's going through our minds. We pray now that your spirit would bring your word alive and that we might align our values with what you have to say and see the world in that way. Speak to us tonight, we ask, in your son's name. Amen. Well, we live in a world that values strength. Uh, We value strength, the strong, the big, the things that work well. Not not just muscular strength, uh, physical strength, uh, but also Strength of intelligence, uh, strength of insight, strength of ideas. Strength such just a positive word, right? We, we value strength. Uh, and we're told, and I'm sure there's some truth to it, that we should focus on our strengths. We should look at where we are strong and where we're not and see what we're good at and try and excel in those areas. And there's something kind of intrinsically right about strength, right? There's the world's strongest man. We think that's good. Uh, you know, you might not want to be the world's strongest man. Uh, half of you, I hope you don't want to be the world's strongest man because you're female, right? No, really. But uh, the strongest man, you're kind of like, that, that'd be cool. But we seek strength. I've never heard of the competition of the world's weakest man. Not heard of that. I mean, and as I think about that competition, are you sitting here going, oh, I want to go in? Like, who's like, yes, that's me. Pick me, I'm there. Like, no one wants to do that. Who wants to find out? Who is the weakest in strategy? Let's find all the business leader and Time Magazine goes around and interviews them all and then finds one and says, you are definitely the weakest in strategy. He's like, yeah, that's me. We just don't think that way, right? We're drawn in to strengths. Business analysts come along and they, they tell businesses to do SWOT analysis. Have you heard that before? SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And you can write that down and use it later. Uh, a SWOT analysis actually helps businesses to think about what are their strengths and weaknesses? Uh, What opportunities are in front of them and what threats are there? I wonder for a moment, if you did a SWOT analysis on your life, your Christian life, what would you list as your strengths? Have a think about that for a moment. Maybe write down the the first strength that pops into your head. What is my strength as a Christian tonight? And what about weaknesses? Strengths I often find are hard to come up with. I don't know. You might find the same thing. Uh, But weaknesses come much quicker. What are your weaknesses in the Christian life? Over the next 12 weeks, we'll be looking at this book of 2 Corinthians. And what we'll see 
is that in a profound twist, (laughs) the strength of the most powerful message in the world is seen most clearly through our weakness. That actually in the economy of God, strength and our own strength doesn't rate anywhere near as highly as weakness. That there is real power in weakness. It's a topsy-turvy way of thinking about the world. It's God's way. If we continue to think like the world around us, that values strength so much, what Paul is saying to this church in Corinth and to you and me here tonight and throughout the next 12 weeks is this. If you think like the world around you, you will miss the riches of God. You will miss the way God sees the world and the way God has ordered the world and you'll be lured into a false sense of strength and power and miss out on what He has in store for us in eternity. Seeing the world through God's eyes is vitally important for every single person in this room. So as we come into this book of 2 Corinthians, we need to understand it in its, in its context, in what's, what's been going on so far. Because really, 2 Corinthians tells you by the title that hopefully there's another one before it, called 1 Corinthians. Uh, so what, is, what has been going on in, in this letter? Well, firstly, Corinth is, is, is a town probably similar to Auckland. It's an isthmus, right? You know what an isthmus is, apart from a really hard word to pronounce? Um, isthmus is kind of like a, a small bit where there's, there's like a, a bit of land and it goes down to a little point, an isthmus, then goes back out again. And there's water on either side, right? Corinth's kind of like us. It's an isthmus. It's just not someone with a stutter who can't say Christmas. So, Corinth is like that. Now, Corinth, I thought it was funny. Um, now, Corinth had been around for a while, but in BC 146, the Romans came and smashed it, destroyed the whole city. People left. Basically, Corinth in BC 146 was a ghost town. I don't know if it had those kind of big rolling balls of weed that you always see in the westerns rolling through it, but no one lived there, right? It was a ghost town. It was uninhabited until 44 BC when Caesar came in and rebuilt it. And by the time that Paul, the apostle, came across the city of Rome, it was only 80 years old in its rebirth. It was new, younger than New Zealand, right? We're 200 years here. 80 years old and about 80,000 people lived in this city. But in that time, it had become the third most important city after Rome and Alexandria. This was like, this was a moving hip city. It, it has become a bustling city, a city of new ideas where all these kind of ancient hipsters were moving into the old ruined warehouses and kind of turning them into cool places and new ideas were coming together. Uh, people from Immigrants from all different parts of the ancient kind of Near East were moving into Corinth as this new and up-and-coming city. In fact, it was the favoured place for the people who'd been slaves and re- released from slavery. They'd go to Corinth for a new start, for new hopes and new dreams. So it was a, a melting pot of ideas. It was the Silicon Valley of yesterday, <laughs> where everyone was kind of coming together going, this is it, we're going we're gonna to create a new world for ourselves. We're going to invent Google, something like that. I don't know. And for that city, wealth and prosperity became the sole currency. It became the factor of respect in Corinth. See, there was no old money. There was no aristocracy. There was no kind of people who'd been here. My family's been in Corinth for a thousand years. You know, there's none of that. We're all new. We've all come in. So those that were important were those that money and money talked. 
And in this town, having the business ideas, having the money, having uh, the, the security of kind of life and wealth and prosperity was what made you kind of important. One commentator describes it like this. Corinth was a freewheeling boom town filled with materialism, pride and self-confidence that comes from having made it in a new place with a new social identity. You got the picture of Corinth. There's a sense in which, like the city we live in, uh, Corinth was the melting pot of these cultures. It was like the city we're in. It had a buzz to it, excitement, new things happening, money to be made, ideas to be taken hold of. And here we live in Auckland where there are new things happening, new ideas springing up, new buildings coming together. It's a melting pot of cultures where people come and and reside here and get jobs and look for new starts in, in in a great country. There's some similarities where we are here in a culture that points us to materialistic joy. Life is fully lived when you've lived it with the trimmings, the trappings. When you've got a place in, you know, Remuera, you know, or Remuera South, Ellerslie, you're getting there soon, right? <laughs> or you've moved to Hearn Bay, and you, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of like, um, that's where you want to go. The flash and pop of the city of Corinth, the upwardly mobile current of the culture, flew in the face of the message this man Paul brought when he first arrived in the city of Corinth. See, if you remember, Paul came to this city not with amazing miracles like others around them wanted, not with, you know, profound wisdom, but with a simple message, a weak message about a man who came and lived and was supposed to be God the Son, who was supposed to be the promised King, but died, was executed on a Roman cross. Christ crucified, we preach, he says in his first letter to the Corinthians. That's what we preached among you. And you can imagine if you turn up in a hip and happening town with all the ideas of society coming together and you preach this exciting message of, guess what, our Savior's dead. Everyone else is like, you're an idiot. Like, why would you follow that? Why is that exciting? We've got new things happening. You know, we're inventing awesome stuff. And we're, kind of, we're moving forward as a city and enjoying life and you're looking back to some dead dude who died a criminal's death. However, the gospel, the news of this Jesus, had taken root in the city. Paul proclaimed Christ and him crucified and some people recognized the reality that Jesus was crucified. And the gospel had taken root. We hear about it in Acts 18. You want to check that out later. If you've been in a connect group, you're probably looking at that throughout the week. So I want to encourage you, get into connect groups, make sure that what we're saying on Sundays is what the Bible is actually saying and let uh, the Word of God kind of flow out into how we live and apply it. So strong plug for connect groups. But in Acts 18, we hear of a little gathering in the house of Priscilla and Aquila. It was a church plant, a bit like Orkney V. Started small with a few people and God saw that grow. Paul stayed with them for 18 months in this little church plant in Corinth. And they're off to a great start, seeing this news of who Jesus is and what he's done bear fruit as people became Christians and and the church grew. But it didn't all go swimmingly. The current of the world around them in Corinth was strong. It was pulling all those in this little church a different direction. And so Paul, after he left Corinth, decided to write a letter. That's what you do when you can't get back. You you send an email, you send a text, you write a letter. That's that's what he did. And he wrote a letter to the Corinthians that we don't have. 
That's not in existence. There, there was a letter before 1 Corinthians. I don't know. Was it Corinthians beta? Something like that. Right? It, it, it was kind of the, the beta release that came out before 1 Corinthians that we have. And, and he'd written this letter. We know about it in 1 Corinthians 5.9. If you're going to write that down and check it out later. He talks about the letter that he's already sent in 1 Corinthians. Uh, and then they replied to that letter in 1 Corinthians 7. You hear there was a reply that had come back, a bit of letter exchanging about the problems in the city. And then hopefully those things had been sorted. But sometime later, Paul heard that there was more division in this church. So he wrote another letter to them. And we have that one called 1 Corinthians. And we've worked through that as a church. If you want to listen to that series, you'll find it online on our website. might be helpful in orienting you to the, the problems of this church and the joys of this church. But the thing that we note in 1 Corinthians is this. This church in Corinth, it was the gifted church. They had every spiritual gift. They had everything you could ever imagine. They were, they were great. They were so gifted in this group of people. They loved their gifts. They were excited about their gifts. But Paul says they had no love. They were the gifted church, but the second worst church in the New Testament. Next to the Galatian church, these guys were shockers. They were kind of, one of them was sleeping with his father's wife, his stepmother. And the rest of the church were proud, going, look at the freedom we have. This is great. I love this freedom, living in the world around us. And you can start to see some of the pull of the current around them. So Paul had written to them in 1 Corinthians to get them back on track. Tell them to stop these divisions and to keep clear to the message they heard about Christ and Him crucified. And at the end of that letter of 1 Corinthians, Paul said, I'm not going to come back to you immediately. I'm not going to come right now and sort this stuff out. And he hit send on the letter and however it got there, it got there. And people carried it off to Corinth and they got, they got the letter. He was probably writing from Ephesus. And then, you know, a little later, not too long, Paul changed his mind. He's like, no, nah, I need to go. You know that feeling you get when you, you said, no, I'm not going to go. It should be fine. You know what to say. And you walk away and you're like, yeah, nah. I think Paul had a yeah, nah moment. And we'll hear a little bit about this later. And we'll ask, is it really yeah, nah? We'll have to wait and see. But then Paul goes in and he then kind of wants to help them get back on track. But when he goes and visits them, he should have been a nah. It was an absolute flop. But they didn't really listen to him. There were some issues amongst them. And so he leaves walks away and goes, right, I've got to go somewhere else. And then does what anyone does when you're really frustrated, when you're trying to see some relationships go about people that you care. You know what you do when you get that email? You reply with a really nasty one. One that says exactly what you think and it sits in your draft folder for a little bit. Then you go, no, I'm going to send it anyway. Boom. And that's what Paul did. He sent what he calls a severe letter. Now, we don't have that. That would be like the, the, the that's, the, this, the, well, what is it? It's 1, one Corinthians 1.1. Because we've got two Corinthians, right? Uh, so it's the one that in between. We don't have that. Maybe there's a reason for that. You know? Maybe God has gone in His providence. that we, we don't really need to see that. But we hear that it had its desired effect. Because in 2 Corinthians 7, Paul recounts that Titus, one of Paul's disciples, one of his followers he'd been training up, Titus had swung through Corinthians on his journey to some places. And he reported back to Paul that the Corinthian church was going better. That they were trusting in Jesus and holding on uh, to the faith. And some of those letters in that, sorry, some of those things in that harsh letter are actually being sorted out. And so Paul's kind of delighted at this point that it's going well. And then Titus says those words that you hate. But, and then he says, they're actually starting to wander toward these, what he calls super apostles. There'd been some people amongst Corinth that had come in proclaiming Jesus, but Jesus in a different way and in a different fashion to the way Paul had. 
Jesus with a bit more power and pizzazz. Jesus with a life that was like, man, this is, this is the powerful Christian life. Paul came and he told us about Jesus, but now we've got this super extra special kind of power that comes from God. And if you kind of think about them in our world sense, these are like the Avengers of Christianity, the super apostles. You can see their poster, right? They're kind of there with all, all their stuff on them. I'd imagine, has anyone ever seen like the guy Fabio? He's kind of the long blonde hair. It's probably way beyond. Imagine some guy with long blonde hair riding bareback, like on a horse along a beach, right? And then they roll into town, into Corinth, because there's Isthmus there, and slide off the back of the horse and step into Corinth and go, I'm here, I'm God's gift to you. And I've come to make your lives as they should be. And everyone's like, raw, this is great. This is amazing. The super apostles are here. That's what was going on. Now, there probably wasn't any horses. That's not biblical. I've added that. It's kind of long blonde hair. Just giving you a sense for how it kind of felt. But imagine how Paul is feeling at this moment. The church he founded, he explained the news of who Jesus is and what he's done. The people that he loved and poured 18 months of his life into to see go world. He popped in and visited. He'd written strong letters. They'd written back. He had this deep relationship with them. The church that he founded, while they're still trusting Jesus, are now doubting Paul's ministry and his message. They're saying that there's something better. They're doubting, was Paul actually who we thought he was? I mean, if Paul was for real... Why is his life full of suffering? These super apostles come in on the back of this golden-maned horse and their life looks great. And Paul, he's getting shipwrecked and he's always in prison. That's not the Christian life I want. Look at these super apostles. That's the life I want. Why is Paul's ministry so lackluster? Maybe he's a second-class kind of guy. I don't see great signs. I don't see amazing eloquence. But these super apostles, man, one of them, he's got this glowing heart thing in the middle. He's amazing. No, sorry. Stop it, Rowan. And if Paul was really from God, why in 1 Corinthians 16 did he say he was not going to come in the short-term future and then change his mind and come? I mean, if he was really connected with God, he would have known the future. He would have been a prophet. But he mustn't be. Because these super apostles, they come in. and They know the future. They kind of talk about these things. Why didn't Paul collect money for preaching like the super apostles did? Because they come in and they're like, you know, we're worth it. But Paul, he wasn't worth it. He didn't even want money. That's not real. Like, you know, who goes to a great show and kind of gets in for free and doesn't charge anything? Well, he must not charge anything because he can't get people in. (laughs) Whereas these super apostles, they're like, yeah, show us the money. And we're like, we're in. We want more. (laughs) Why doesn't Paul recount great stories of power in his ministry and tell of the way that thousands had come to Christ and how he'd done amazing signs and seen amazing things? Maybe, Maybe his ministry wasn't powerful. Maybe Paul really wasn't who we thought he originally was. Maybe, maybe we need to listen to these super apostles because they look mighty fine to us. They look strong. They look powerful. And so with this knowledge from Titus, Paul writes what we now call 2 Corinthians. This letter, it, it's deeply emotional. As I said before, Paul, his logic is often, you know, this, therefore this, then that, so that, this, 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 in order that, and it just keeps going like that. And it's kind of clear. And in this letter, Paul's like kind of uh, a bit of this, a bit more of that. He's, he's kind of, at one point, he's like, look, I'm doing crazy speech here. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. And you're like, whoa, Paul, what's going on? It's a letter that he's, he's so concerned for the people in Corinth that he wants them to see so clearly who Jesus is 
and what is important about his ministry. It's a letter that shows us the nature of authentic gospel ministry in a raw sense, in a real sense. To those of us who are excited to see people keep coming to Jesus and trusting in Jesus, for those of us who who kind of want to see our friends and family and loved ones who, who know Jesus stay in Jesus, we'll find this letter captivating. The way Paul talks, what he shows is important, to hear what he says, to stand with him and feel his pain, to watch him woo back in the stray sheep that are getting pulled out into the current of the world around him, to watch him warn from the wolves and come back to the shepherd. It's going to be a great 12 weeks for the next 12 weeks as we look at that. And for those of us who find ourselves on the edge of Christianity, whether that be drifting out or maybe looking in, we'll hear the warnings of the temptations of outward appearance and the current of the world around us. We'll hear the warning from Paul to say, be very, very careful that you do not become so like the world, you're indistinguishable from it. You'll hear how important it is from a man who knows Christ, who knew Christ better than anyone, for he was sent from him. So let's jump into the letter and find out a little bit more about this man called Paul. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 1. Finally, here we go. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, and Timothy, our brother. I just want to stop there for a moment. No, we're not very far in. Like, whoa, we're going to get through this? It's okay. This isn't Genesis that we've been going through previously. You know, where there's like eight chapters. It's a shorter letter. But I think in these shorter letters, we... We sometimes miss important detail, particularly these introductions. If I'm honest, when I'm often reading through these, I'm like, yeah, yeah, introduction bit. All right, where do we start? Verse 3, great. And we kind of move on from there. Do you, do you find yourself doing that? Yep, no, don't want to confess now. It's okay. Do that later. Um, but we miss things that are important. Uh, we miss a claim that Paul makes. It's kind of the first thing he does in this letter, given that background. Given that there are these super apostles saying, we're the authority, listen to us, and they're drifting. Paul says this, that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ by God's will. Now, apostle, it means sent one. Paul has been sent by Jesus to them because of God's will. This is not some dude writing what he thinks in a self-published book, here you go, (laughs) whack it up on Amazon and everyone's happy. It's It's not that at all. Paul is saying, God the Son, in line with God the Father, has sent me to come to you. And I'm coming to say this. This is my authority. This is who I am. This makes Paul unique. There's no one like Paul. There's no other authority like Paul, for he is the one that has been sent by God to them. The Corinthian church needs to understand this. If you reject the authority of the Apostle Paul, you are rejecting the authority of of God and God the Son. If you reject the authority of the Apostle Paul, you are rejecting the authority of God himself. We need to remember that. I hear people often kind of opening up the Bible and reading what Paul says. I'm like, Paul, he's just some angry dude. You know, he was real angry when he started, when he was kind of killing Christians and he had a conversion, but he still sounds angry. The stuff he writes, I don't agree with. And I kind of want to push it to the side. I like what Jesus says, where Jesus talks about love. You know, Jesus is the loving one. Paul's the nasty one. Although Jesus does talk about hell far more than anyone else in the scriptures. 
And there's sometimes a tendency to say, ah, oh, Paul, I don't know. You know, it's not as strong as the red letter bits in my Bible. The red ones, I mean, Jesus said them. So they're, they're so important. But the, Paul's just in the black bits. If you reject the Apostle Paul, you're rejecting God. Hear that very, very clearly. Don't miss the gravity of what Paul is saying. If you reject the Apostle Paul and what he says, you're rejecting what God has said through him. For he was sent from God. Amongst the background of these super apostles that claimed all sorts of authority with signs and miracles, here's what Paul says. I come to you with God's words. But it wasn't just Paul that was special. Introduction to this letter, we don't just say that Paul is unique and be able to speak God's words. Paul actually says, and you too, Corinthian church, you are unique. Have a look with me at the Corinthian church. This is what Paul says. To God's church, verse 1, at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Achaia. To God's church at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Achaia. Now we read that and we're so used to church and God being in the same sentence that we miss something again. We think, yeah, church is where you know, God is and God's church, yep, kind of move on, next bit. But I want to slow down. Now the word church, I don't know if you know this, it just means gathering. In one part in Acts, there's, 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 a, there's a gathering of people that are an angry mob. And it's called a church, an ecclesia, the Greek word used for it. It just means a gathering. Something special about the word church. So let's just put gathering in there. To God's gathering at Corinth. What's going on with that? Paul is saying, God has gathered you together. This little local church that you're a part of in Corinth here, that you're kind of feeling like you want to drift off and listen to these other people uh, rather than what I have said, I want to remind you from day one that, that your little church that you think about that you're a part of is not yours, nor is it mine. It is God's church. He has gathered you. He has brought you together. Uni church. You are God's church. You are a local expression of the reality of who God is gathering together and who will be gathered together on that final day when Jesus comes back in heaven. God has you here. You might be checking out the things of God tonight. You might have heard about Uni Church. What are these guys on about? You've come along to see what we're about. I want to say God has you here tonight. He has gathered you to hear His Word. You are here because He is in control of all things. And so there is something in this passage tonight that you need to hear that I need to hear. For God has gathered us. And there's a sense in which Paul expected this letter to be applied to more than just the Corinthian church as well. Did you see it? Verse 1, with all the saints who are throughout Achaia. They were to pass this letter on to others so that they might learn from the same lessons that the Corinthian church has. As Paul's authority was questioned, And so he responds with 2 Corinthians. It's vitally important that we see Auckland EV, Uni Church, as a church like that in Corinth. It's not our church to make decisions around. We don't get to go, you know what I like to do in church. I want our church, I want our church to be kind of like just real fun, you know? Just put beer on tap or to sit back and drink beer. Or maybe you're more of a wine person. I don't know. And we'll just do that because it's going to be fun. And that's what the world around us says would be fun. Let's go to a bar and just hang out. Yeah, nothing against uh, drinking or wine. Just don't get drunk, right? Jesus, his first miracle is turning water into wine. But we can start to go, oh yeah, if we're defining what church is about, let's do church this way. 
Let's, let's actually, you know, we don't want to open the Bible and read some ancient book. That's boring. Why don't we write kind of, I don't know, new books and talk about crazy stuff, like all these crazy levels in heaven and let's write some crazy other things. You know, and there are churches that do this. There are places, gatherings that do this. So like one guy rocks in and says, oh, I put these amazing vests on and glasses and I saw amazing things. And then everyone's like, whoa. There are all sorts of claims that come from the will of man that we shape church. It's God's church. Some churches, you, you see the pastor begin to think that it's his church. You know, that he gives 700 men a special ring and makes them stand up whenever they walk in the room. That's just not on. It's wrong. Right? That, that is not how God destined his church. <laughs> this is not my church. This is not Lachlan's church or Andrew's church, nor your church. This is God's church for his purposes, for the way he has gathered us together around his word. One of the weird things that I consistently find myself struggling with in this area is... Um, because I'm sinful and broken, like all of us, welcome. <laughs> uh, you know, there's a sense where I can slip back into thinking, well, I started this church. You know, this is my church. Well, when it started, it really was Sarah and I, and a, you know, a couple of others. There was eight of us in the very beginning. I feel like this is my church. And you can start to think, in, how dare someone have a different idea about my church? How, how dare God tell me how my church should run? <laughs> yeah, sin, right? Uh, but one of the struggles I have is, I don't know if you've noticed the Connect cards that we have. Now, I love these. You see them in your outline. I hope everyone fills them out. We can now do them online. Have you saw that? You can QR code it with your phone or type that stuff in and that saves kind of all people doing this later on. It's a shameless plug for that. But one of the tick boxes is, this is my church. Every time I want to tick that, I'm like, oh, I just have a problem. So every time for the last six years I've filled out one of these cards, I cross out my and write Jesus. It just helps me in my sinfulness to go, this is Jesus' church. Now, you don't always have to do that. I'm not saying everyone should go and cross it out. We, we just reprinted 20,000 of those so that there'll be enough for the future. And this is my church. It's just saying, look, this is the church that I'm a part of. I'm calling this home. You're not saying that I could t- determine what happens. But there was something about it for me, knowing my sinfulness and brokenness, that if I keep ticking, this is my church for me, I'm like, ah, there's some problems here. You need to get over yourself wrong. Well, as the Corinthians were enticed away from the very word of God that brought them into existence. So as we open up to Corinthians, we must hear God's warning to us through Paul. We are God's church, formed by God's word. We continue by God's word. We submit to God's word. We are gathered through the word that God has given us, through the apostle Paul that we have recorded for us. That's what 2 Corinthians is. Not only the words of Paul but the word of the God who sent Paul. That's what apostle means, remember. Sent one. This is God's word. It's of vital importance to us. So what does Paul say? Before we get to the kind of content of the second half of this section, I'm trying to be short because we're going to come back to it again. Uh, Remembering Paul, he kind of touches on things a few times, comes around a few times, he's a bit... He's kind of more Italian, you know, he's kind of a bit more explosive in his, um, sorry if you're Italian, you find that offensive. I I love that about Italians. Anyway, (laughs) I want to give you a a feel for the things Paul is going to say. And what I want you to notice is his heart for these people. I want you to see what we're going to see in in the coming weeks and think about what God is saying to us through these little snippets that we get to unpack in more detail. But let me read through a few. I'll give you, I think there's about 12. Put them on the screen. Ready? 
Uh, 2 Corinthians 2.15. For to God, we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To some, we are an aroma of death leading to death. But to others, an aroma of life leading to life. Who is competent for this? 2 Corinthians 3 verse 5. It's not that we are competent in ourselves to consider anything is coming from ourselves, but our competence is from God. See what he's doing? Where his authority comes from? Downplaying where he's at and showing where, where God is at? Uh, 4 verse 17. For our momentary and light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. 5 verse 10, For we must all appear before the tribunal of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or worthless. Ouch. Verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. Verse 21, Therefore, if, um, if he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich for your sake, he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. 2 Corinthians uh, 10, verse 3 and 4. For though we live in the body, we do not wage war in an unspiritual way, since the weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. 11 verse 28. Not to mention other things, there's the daily pressure on me, my care for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to stumble? I I do not burn with indignation. And then he finishes the letter with what might be one of the most well-quoted parts of 2 Corinthians ever. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. This is a book that is filled with passionate, living theology. What does the Christian life and ministry look like? Paul says this, Weakness is the source of strength, and suffering is the vehicle for God's power. In a world that's hell-bent on being strong and doing their SWOT analysis and being the ones who lead out the front, Paul says, weakness is the source of strength. Suffering is the vehicle for God's power. In short, over the coming weeks, we're going to see great power in weakness. And that's what we've titled this series. Now, the theology of weakness and suffering, that was foolishness to those in Corinth, to the startup world, to the entrepreneurial drive. It's like, what? Weakness? You want to aim for weakness? That's so dumb. That's so weak. Huh. With the self-made men and women, the progressive society, it was foolishness. And I've got to say, that idea is still foolishness today, isn't it? To the world we live in, to the currents that surround our isthmus. So, so much so that even some of the so-called Christian leaders and preachers of today change their message from one of, we find power in weakness, to no, live God's best life for you now. 
Come and experience life to the full now. See sickness go away. See prosperity come. If you trust this God, if you trust this Jesus, your life will be just gold dust everywhere. Come to life, Jesus will be better. If you've got enough faith, your suffering will disappear. You will be healed. They say things that the Bible doesn't say out of a desire to see people come to the faith, but it's not the faith Paul spoke of. How many of us, if we are honest, feel discouraged by our weaknesses, by the frustrations of the time we fail, the times we stumble as Christians in life, by the things that we can't do? Just this week, I felt totally weak, even in putting this message together. I'm like, oh, I don't get it yet. It's not clear. It's not at the right spot. It's not going to be like the best message ever. I'm like, you idiot. Power and weakness. Point to the God who is behind it all. How many of us feel discouraged? Who doesn't want a bit more pizzazz in the Christian life? A bit more prominence. And so this is so alluring. We get pulled into this all the time. So Paul says in this letter to us tonight, I am God's messenger. I come from him. You are God's church, not your own. The norm you should expect, the comfort you should experience as Christians should come through affliction. That's the last thing I want us to focus on. Comfort in affliction. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And you're like, yeah, praise Him. That sounds great. He shows me mercy. He doesn't give me what I deserve. Um, He's the Father of mercy. He's the God of all comfort. You know, bring on the comfort, right? He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we receive ourselves from God. I want you to notice one word. Paul does not say he comforts us from all our affliction. He says he comforts us in our affliction. This is not a promise to remove the afflictions of the world. The afflictions and the hardship that goes on in life. It's not a promise to make life rosy and gold. It's a promise that when life isn't rosy and gold, when life is hard, God will comfort you through it, in it, but not from it. We need to hear that. Verse 8. For we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed. And listen to him. He's just looking at his life, just being open and honest and raw and vulnerable. We were completely overwhelmed in Asia, beyond our strength, so that we even despaired of life. Read, I wanted to kill myself. Life was so hard, I couldn't do it. I was overwhelmed. Not to the point of, oh, what am I going to do? I'll trust God. It's kind of a bit bad. But, you know, everything's cool. No, no, no. I wanted to end my life. I wanted God to come back. I wanted to meet Jesus. And we saw that in Philippians. To live is Christ, to die is gain. You see him working through that kind of idea there. Indeed, we personally had a death sentence within ourselves. So what is the comfort? that God gave them throughout this time. What is the comfort that came to him? Was it the relief of kind of afflictions? No, look at the end of verse 9. Indeed, personally, we had a death sentence on within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Afflictions come so we might recognize that it is God who has the strength. 
but it is God who is the powerful one. And in that comes comfort. I can't do this. That's right, Rowan. You can't. I haven't got life all together. That's right. You know, I can't get through this pretending to the rest of the world that I don't sin. No, I can't. I do sin. I need a saviour. And in that affliction, in the, in the hardships that happen with, with, from within myself, from within around the world, around me, God points me to the reality that I need to trust in Him. That the strength comes through Him. Affliction comes so we might recognize it's God who has the strength. It's, God's, it's God whose power removes the threat of death. Not death in this life here and now, but the death that lasts forever. The world around us is petrified by death. Have you noticed that? The world around us is running from death, and rightly so. There's something that's horrible and wrong. We, we move death away from the public light. We put people in hospitals and kind of in rest homes, and we kind of push people that are getting closer and closer to death out and out away so we can just live the Corinthian life. You know, the whole cosmetic industry is built on the reality that I can make myself look less closer to death, Right? That's what young age is. That's why we celebrate being young and youthful. <laughs> You're not near death. The whole industry is built on people going, yes, I want to look like I'm less close to death because I hate death. The world is terrified of death. The current around us, we kind of just don't talk about it. Let's live life to the full and you know, enjoy life now. What happens after this kind of 80, 90, 100 years? I don't know. Who cares? That's not very long. Oh, if it's eternity, it is. As affliction comes to those who trust in Christ, we see God's power to deal with death. That death is defeated. Verse 10, He has delivered us from such a terrible death and He will deliver us. We have put our hope in Him that He will deliver us again while you join in helping us by your prayers. Now in verse 10, He's starting out by talking about um, the death that He was faced right there and then in that situation where it was the physical death. And he will deliver us again. I think he's probably talking about physical death there as well. But we have put our hope in him that we will deliver us again. He's lifting his eyes and the Corinthian church's eyes to the reality that those who trust in Jesus' death is not the end. Yes, you will die momentarily. And then when Jesus comes back, be raised to life. And those who trust in Jesus will have eternal life with him because he has paid the price for us. He died on the cross, that crucified Messiah. He took the penalty that we deserve so we could stand right before Him, that we could be forgiven. But for those who have not trusted in Jesus' death on the cross, what life after death brings is hell. Separation from God's goodness forever. There's a real reason that the world is afraid of death. God stitched it into our very beings in that sense. So the question shouldn't be, as a Christian church, the Corinthians' question shouldn't be, as a Christian church, why are we suffering Our question should be, why aren't we suffering? Verse 5. For as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so through Christ our comfort also overflows. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is experienced in your endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that as you share in the sufferings, you also share in the comfort. The comfort that comes is that we are suffering for the cause of Christ. The sufferings that are on view here are not just any old sufferings, just kind of, you know, the sufferings generally of life. 
sufferings that are on view are because you stand out as a Christian, because you swim the opposite way to the current of the world around you. You believe that there is a God who made us and is in control of this world and He's coming back again and the world around us goes, you're an idiot. Why would you think that? It's so weak. So just, you're not living life to the full. There's so much life to have now. You, you say to your friends and your family, oh, well, I, you know, actually, I can't go on that holiday because I, I've been giving to the spread of the gospel through my local church. And they go, well, what are you doing that for? Well, I'm going on holidays. I'm going to be sitting with this kind of, on the deck of a cruise liner. Are you really sure that this Jesus that you're following? Like, this seems so stupid. Why would you do that? Why would you give away money so more people could come into this little club of yours that you meet together on Sundays? Why, why wouldn't you have sex before you're married? Why would people think that sex is only for marriage? That's such a, a dumb view. I'm, I'm having sex wherever. And why aren't you enjoying this? The world around us looks at Christians and says, you are stupid. You are weak. You are powerless. If Christianity looks like the world around us, it is not Christianity. That's what Paul is saying. The true Christian will suffer because we are living Christ's way. Now, yes, we can win the world around us by pointing them to how great Jesus is. Yes, we want to love them, not being fools in the world and being stupid. (laughs) But suffering will come and that brings comfort. Because if you are suffering for the cause of Christ, (laughs) you will enjoy the comfort that is now, knowing that the hope Christ brings will be yours in the future. The next 12 weeks are going to be a great time of letting God turn our view of the world upside down. Of sitting on the shoulder of the Apostle Paul as he desperately pleads and cares for this church who are feeling the magnetic attraction of the culture and current around them. The next 12 weeks, we're going to be reflecting on our own weaknesses and what we look like And we're going to see that Paul keeps holding out that our weaknesses show God's strength. And we're going to see the comfort that comes from trusting in this Christ. Yes, we are comforted now as we share in the suffering. But oh, in the age to come, embracing the resurrection, our resurrection. The next 12 weeks are going to be a great time together of letting God through Paul, through this word, by the work of his spirit, fix our eyes on what matters on what authentic Christian ministry looks like. The question for us tonight is this. Where do you look for comfort when you suffer? Do you turn to the world's answers? Or do you look for the comfort that comes through Christ? The comfort that comes knowing that our future is secure. The question for us is, Is suffering a problem for you or an opportunity for growth and thanksgiving? Let me pray. Father God, we come before you tonight recognizing that for probably all of us, there are so many things vying for our attention in the world around us. So many Opportunities drawing us to want to run from you and to them. We admit, Lord, that as we look at these things that entice us, the comforts of the world, the trappings, the strengths, that we want those. But we ask that tonight, through your spirit and through your view of the world, you might be turning our view of the world upside down. 
that we might walk away from hearing you speak tonight. Not focused on the, on the here and now and getting the best life now, but focused on the God who loves us. The God who died in our place, who suffered the punishment that we deserve and has risen again offering us new life. Father, help us to take our suffering for the sake of Christ, for standing firm in Him, as a great comfort. For as Christ suffered, so we suffer. And so we ask that we might see the afflictions that come because of Christ as opportunities for you to grow us and shape us and mold us and opportunities for Jesus' name to be held high in this city so that more and more people might be gathered. Father, we pray you would keep gathering your people into your church. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.